You're listening to King Jesus Radio, the official podcast of New Living Way Church. In tonight's study, we are going to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And the title is Expecting to Receive. Is there times in your life that you're looking for change or you know there needs to be change? Well, in tonight's study, we're encouraged as we learn, just keep doing what you're doing and allow God to teach us and bring about that change that is necessary. God bless you. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And the topic on here, the portion of scripture that I pulled out of here is expecting to receive. Amen? Expecting to receive. And I encourage you that as we go through this, there's going to be like a little question at the end of it, through that part that says expecting to receive. And I guess I'll throw it out there now. Expecting to receive, when we get to that place, I want us to kind of... uh, remember a Bible study that we've already had and to what's going to come. So it's something we've kind of already went through. So as we laid out a bunch of foundations through chapter 1 and 2, now we're going to start to see the word coming to pass and the work that is being done through the apostles. And so we're going to recognize some things we've actually already learned that they're learning through the ministry. So keep that in mind, expecting to receive. And you'll see it in the scripture as we read it right now. So let's open up with Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And it says here in verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Okay? So this will be our portion of Scripture tonight, verse 1 through 5, and we're going to be we're going to be breaking this portion down. Now, it may not look like a lot. It's a small portion of Scripture, but there's a purpose of why we're going to stay into this portion right here before we move on to the next, uh, next part of this Scripture. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you that it is blessed, and we thank you, Father God, that, Lord, for your instruction, Lord, as you teach us this night, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want us to look at verse 1 here. And feel free, if you have any questions or comments or things like that, just let me know and I'll call on you and we'll be able to share. So we're going to look at verse 1 here, and I'm just going to lay a couple of things down here for this verse. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. So many believe that this was actually taken from Psalm 55.17. So let's turn to Psalm 55.17. We're going to turn our Bible pages a little bit here today. So if they're a little stuck together, maybe you haven't had a chance to read it this week, we're going to unstick some of them pages. Amen? Or if they're falling out, try to keep them in there. Psalm 55, verse 17. If somebody could please read that scripture. Yes, Psalm 55, verse 17. Morning, noon, and night, I pray out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Amen. So on verse 16 it says, But I called to God, and the Lord will save me. And as she just read right now, Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. So many believe that this is where they got just, not so much a tradition, but this is what the Jewish people were known for, the three times of prayer throughout the day. They had a certain set time for prayer. So it covered pretty much every moment of the day on that. And so right here, let's go look at, uh, let's go look at, 
at uh, Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 10 of that. We're going to see an example of this prayer being, you know, being followed. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and if somebody could please read that one. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed, and gave thanks before God, as he did a fourth time. Amen. So, did we catch how many times Daniel was praying a day? Three. Three times a day. Does anybody remember or know why? Why was Daniel in this portion of Scripture? Why was he, well, he was praying. He was a man of God, definitely praying. But what was going on in this portion of Scripture? Does anybody remember on this one? Yes, Cynthia. Uh, or Summer. So when the king hired up someone like Daniel, and they were going to try to use his faith in God against him, and convince the king, like, oh, we've got to throw Daniel... Because he's not bowing to you. Okay. Yes. Yes. Can you resign the decree that everyone needs to bow to you? Yes. Amen. And you know, and in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, it does say that um, we do subject ourselves and submit ourselves to the authorities of the land. But there's also a portion of scripture that the, that Peter says, "What is it better? Is it better to obey you or to obey God more than you?" So anything that causes us to go against God, then we are not to submit to those authorities because then if they're not submitting to God, the ultimate, the supreme authority. And in this, as Summer said, now Daniel's having that challenge that they were challenged, you are not to pray to anyone else except the king. And we see here that Daniel just continued to keep doing what he had always been doing. That was praying three times a day to his God. And they would open up the window and they would pray. He would pray to God. So he wasn't doing this secretly. He wasn't trying to hide the fact that he was doing it. He was just continuing to do what he had always done. And because of that, it says here that Daniel was placed where? The lion's den. But how many of us know that God delivered Daniel from that lion's den? Amen? Amen. So I brought here, it says, Daniel prayed three times a day. Now let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 3. Our key scripture tonight, Acts chapter 3. And it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So this was the time of prayer. And it says the ninth hour. So when it's referring to the ninth hour, it's talking about 3 p.m. in the day. And for, for the Jewish people, and in this time of Israel, the day would start at dawn, which was normally about 6 a.m. So they had three times of they had three types of three times for prayer. It says that the third hour was 9 a.m. prayer. Then you had the sixth hour, which was the 12 p.m. prayer. And then you had the ninth hour, which was the 3 p.m. prayer, which is this is the ninth hour. This is that third hour, that third prayer that was going on through that day. Usually would happen after the sacrifices and different things like that. So this was a custom. This was part of the temple worship. This was part of the place where they were going through this. And this is just a part of what they do. And, you know, prayer is a big thing. Um, and remember, always remember that their sunset was consisted of a day. So once the sun went down to the Jewish people and to Israel, this was a start of a new day. That was a new day for them. So not like we have ours, it's midnight and all that. But no, theirs was at sunset. That was now the next day for them. So this is considered most likely looking at it as the evening prayer. Even though it's 3 p.m., you know, we're like, I don't eat dinner that late, you know, that early. But, you know, it's considered to them the evening prayer. So in this portion, they're going to the ninth hour, which was that third time of prayer. 
Now, it says here that devout Jews and Gentiles would go to the temple to pray. And what I love about this is because we learned, I believe, last week how we talked about it, that just because the disciples, the apostles, and all those that followed Jesus... They were Jewish. How many of us know that they were Jewish? Yeah. They, they followed the customs of the Jewish people. They followed the customs that were there and the laws and all these different things. Not perfectly, but this was the, this is what they did. So did they stop following the customs and what was required by the law because of Jesus? No. Why not? Because I don't think Jesus told them to. Okay. I think they were consistent on what the Jewish, what they were taught since they were young and stuff, and this is what they continue to do. Because the conflict comes after the division between the Jews and them, the chain of those believing the Messiah and those don't. Yeah. It comes afterwards. So they were still in the same um, pattern of going into the temple and praying. Yeah. They they continued because you, we got to remember. The, the disciples saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the Bible, of the law, of the prophets, of the Psalms, of everything that was written. The disciples saw Jesus as that fulfillment. So for them, it was like, well, I'm not going to stop doing the requirements that are required by me because Jesus is that fulfillment. So they continued in following all the customs. They continued to follow that, even though in the last chapter that we read, we read that they started to meet in houses. They started to meet in different places because as Pastor Pat brought out there was starting to get conflict within the synagogues there was starting to be conflict within the temple because even though they believed that Jesus was a fulfillment of everything they believed in the Jewish people didn't so this was bringing conflict in the synagogues and it was bringing conflict in the temple this is why they started to have to meet in their homes not because they wanted to but because they had to to avoid confrontation after a while and as we see here we're going to start to see a change in all of this. Now, don't get scared. I'm not going to tell you guys have to go back and follow the law and everything, okay, guys? There's a reason why I have to. I noticed that some of you guys kind of getting a little like, oh, he's trying to put a noose, he's trying to put a yoke on me. No, that's not what this is about. There's a reason and a purpose why I have to lay this out, okay? Because how many of us know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law? Yes. yes. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word of God, of the prophets, of everything that was spoken. It was all about Jesus, and it still is. So what they were doing wasn't necessarily wrong. They just continued. What did Daniel keep doing? Praying. Praying. He continued to keep doing what he had always been doing. God bless you. I believe somebody sneezed. So the disciples continued to keep doing what they had always been doing. They continued to follow it, but now they just knew. But we're doing this, and we recognize that the Messiah has come already, and he's risen. So they had this boldness and this confidence in that. But here's where the Lord starts to change some things as they're just doing what they knew they needed to be doing. Okay? You ever get to a place where you feel like you keep doing the same thing over and over again, but you're not seeing any change? Or you're thinking, I need to change something, but I just don't know how to change it? I don't know what to change. I don't know what to do, but I know there needs to be a change. Well, think about it this way. In this portion of scripture, this part, the disciples are doing what they've always done. They got a different understanding. They understand, they believe in Jesus, but they don't stop from doing what they've always done. 
But by them continuing on doing what they've always done is where the change starts to come without them causing the change, but where Christ starts to bring the change within them and within their lives because they start to see things differently. That's from the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me encourage you. If you've ever been in that place, you're in that place today. Keep doing what you've always done. Until the Lord starts to give you the wisdom and starts to bring about that change. Let God bring the change. Because when we try to bring the change, how many of us know we can mess it up? We may think it's the right change at that moment, but later on, it might not be so. That's why always the Bible says, wait on the Lord. Be patient. For He is patient. But how many of us know that we're not patient? That's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. Because thank God that the fruit of the Spirit is not me and you. The fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And that's something that gets worked out. Like I said, the first time I ever heard that scripture, and the fruit of the Spirit, and it says He's long-suffering. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, long-suffering. I knew what it meant. It's in the Word. But when they broke it down, it just means it's long-suffering. I was like, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Because that's something you have to learn and you recognize. But we rather, it means something else. Else, you know, but it doesn't. It means long suffering, suffering for a long time. So even though many times we may feel that we've been suffering for a long time, but God's outside of our time. So we're looking here and we're going to see some things start to change here. And there's a reason why they need to start to see this change. There's a reason why there needs to be a change. Because we've talked about it many times before. How many of us know that when something gets started, doesn't mean it's always like that many years down the line? We talked about the church, how many times we'll look at the Bible and be like, man, I wish we got to go back to that place where the church was all together and they loved one another and, and they hugged one another and, you know, everybody got along, you know, it was just an awesome time in the church. No one talked about each other. No one complained about each other, you know, and that's great. And don't get me wrong. We are to do that as a church. But then we shared about, what do you think all the epistles, the book of Acts, everything in the rest of the Bible starts to deal with all the confrontations and all the conflict in the church. Because the church is not perfect. We're perfect in Christ, but we as people are not perfect. And so Paul addresses many things because even in that time, there were things that arose from there as well. And how many of us know that in church we can have conflicts? Oh, yes. There could be divisions. There could be disagreements. There could be times that people don't like each other. There's just so many things that could go on because we're human beings. All being worked out by the same Lord. And God's doing a work in all of us. I heard somebody say something out there. <laughs> Long suffering. Amen. <laughs> and not just in church, even at home and our jobs and everywhere. It's like, Lord, can't you just work at church only? <laughs> just let me, you know, home cool and, you know, my job and my kids and everything. But no, how many of us know we are the church? So it's in all that we do. It's in everything that we do. So don't be surprised when it happens in church. Amen. And this is why, let's go to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at a couple of things, why some things needed to change here. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to go to verse 9 through 14. If somebody would like to read that. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. When Jesus told this story, 
to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, <laughs> adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisees, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Sister Yolanda, what is wrong with that portion of Scripture? Well, he wasn't accepting that he was a sinner. Amen. Right? Yeah. At first, he was saying, well, I do this, I do that. But wasn't really like looking at himself at what he was really doing. Amen. That's right. Amen. Yes, Summer. And also he's comparing himself to others, which Ooh, yeah. he does not want us to do. Yeah. Like, oh, even if I do a little sin, at least I'm not at this level. At least I'm not like her. Right. At least I'm not like him. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen in church. That's, you know, that doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't happen with Christians. I don't think any of you have ever done that, right? So, if you did, you need to repent. <laughs> but we could all get there. We could all get to that place. And not necessarily purposely where, you know, to the point of this, what this man is. But look at the heart here. See, this shows us that it has to be more than just about coming to church. This was in the temple. This was in the temple that represented the presence of God. The temple was to represent the presence of God and that those that did not know God could be drawn to Him to that temple. It was a place where people could come and hear and see the glory of God. And yet we see this man, he's telling the story about this Pharisee, about a teacher, teacher of the law, and he's saying, and I thank you God that I'm not like this guy. And that guy hears them, man. That's messed up. <laughs> you know? It's like me and you standing there. And Sister Rosalind right there praying and saying, man, I thank God I'm not like this man right here. And pointing at me, the pastor. Like, dang, Rosalind, that is messed up. But thank God the Bible says that I need to forgive you. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's real. But this man was so self-righteous that he felt like, he was, like Sister Yolanda said, he wasn't examining his own heart. So this, was this a good representation of God's presence, of who God is? Yeah. No. And the one man, and I like how Sister Yolanda's read it, despised tax collectors. Didn't even say a tax collector. It says despised tax collector. He's not light. But recognized his shortcomings and repented. And all he could do was say, forgive me. And Jesus says that he was justified more than that Pharisee who exalted himself. 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Are you starting to see why there needed to be a change here? That's the, that's, that's the question here as we're reading this. Why did there need to be a change? These men were on their way to the temple to pray. But obviously there was a change happening, and there was a reason why. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. If somebody can please read that. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayer are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. Amen. Thank you for reading that, but I was going to ask you to keep going, since you did. Amen. <clears throat> Think about that part where he just said right there. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay? I want you to remember that word, need. Keep that word in mind, need. Okay? It's another portion of Scripture that says it as well. But I want you to keep, hold on to that word, need. Not needy. Don't be needy. Just need, okay? Need. But he gives an example of who not to be like. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like those that make a big show of their prayers to be recognized by people. So they could be recognized and say, Sister Cynthia, you pray so great. Brother David, I love how you pray. The power of God is in you. And all of us, it's not that he's not, and that you do pray great and you, the power of God is in you. But it's when you're exalting into a place where, look at me. And he's saying, don't be like that. That's not what it's about. It's not about how great you pray. It's the heart of the prayer, recognizing how good our God is. It doesn't have to be a lot of words. Because how many of the times, you know, in our relationship with somebody, many times in that relationship doesn't need to be a lot of words. Just a relationship in communication and recognizing and respecting one another. Sometimes one of the greatest relationships is with somebody that you don't have very many words with. Because how many of us know that where there are many words, sin is not absent? Sometimes we speak too much. Get ourselves in trouble. I know it's probably only me. I get it. You know, but, you know, it does happen occasionally. Okay? So are we seeing... Did we, in reading those two scriptures, did, did you guys see why there needs to be a change? Remember, we're reading in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. The disciples, Peter and John, were on their way to the temple to pray, which is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. They were on their way at the ninth hour. But then we're reading over here about the man, the Pharisee, these leaders of the temple, and the ones that are handling all these things, and how they're praying and what they're doing. Do we see any reason why there needed to be a change? Any thoughts on that? Don't worry about you know when it's the right answer or not. Just what your thought is on that. Yes, Sister Alma. I was just thinking about this um, the guy, the Pharisee, and the other one. The Pharisee. Yeah, the Pharisee. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that they were trying to 
I mean, saying what he is and what he's not, God already knows, right? Yeah. I, I can't be saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm, thank you, God, for I am not like this. What do you mean? God knows who I'm really um, right? So it's like, yeah. who, who was he praying to? I mean, like, Praying to himself, I guess. Yeah, he knows, God knows everything. God knows him. What what is he saying? Yeah. No, that's that's good. Anybody else? I think the shift is in Jesus' name. It was all about Jesus. It isn't about um, the laws or everything that you use or your intellect. Because the, the Pharisees are very intelligent people. Oh, yeah. They know all the laws and stuff. So I think the shifting is coming in. Who? It was all about the Messiah. It was all about Jesus. Everything's going to be in Jesus' name because that's where, that's, that's where you know, when they do end up at the temple, that's what they pray is in Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They're very specific as to what they pray. Amen. Can you ask? Yes. Um, I believe that the Lord was already preparing them even before, and that's why He would show him the example of what not to be, like the Pharisees, and the Pharisees did everything that the law required. Mm. That's right. Amen. So there was definitely a change going in that. Definitely. Anybody else as well? These are good. These are good, guys. We, this is remember, we all have a part in this. So, you know, this is definitely part of the change in the, all of this that's going on. So it's interesting how huh? it's like, well, it's, you know, it's definitely some things going on in here. The renewing of the mind. Yes. Amen. So let's go and, and you know, thank you guys for sharing that. Because now we're going to look at another reason here of why this change is coming. And it's like what you guys just said right now. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 1 through 8. If somebody like to read that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. At the time Jesus went through the grain fields of the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Keep going to verse 8. Yes, please. For have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blessed, blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have con- condemned the guiltless. And then verse 8. Uh-huh. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Yes. Amen. Okay, so we're going to break down this scripture a little bit here, okay? We're going to look at a couple of things here. 
So these are a couple of footnotes that I took down, but I feel they're really important for us to look at this as we as we prepare for this. So he is saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying he is the Lord of the Sabbath. God bless you. And he's saying, think about those words in verse uh, verse 6. Your translation may read it a little bit differently than, than what we read right now. Mine says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Ooh, I like that. Something greater than the temple is here. Okay? So, one of the biggest things why they were upset here is because you are not allowed to work on the Sabbath, but basically what it's referring to is you're not allowed to work for a profit, to make any profit on the day of the Sabbath. So when you're harvesting grain or you're doing all these things, is because you're looking to make a profit, you're looking to sell, to make something from it. Now that was what the original law states, and this is what it's referring to, but over the years, because of the Pharisees' teachings and the scribes and all these different things, they added to it and they made it even harder. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. Like, I mean, and that's not what the scripture was saying. So this is why they're coming against him, not so much because he's coming against the law, but because he's coming against it the way they teach it and the way they want it followed and the way they've always been taught it should be followed, even though they themselves didn't follow it. And Jesus calls him out on it many times. So when he's referring to David, which is if you're taking notes in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 through 6, this is talking about a time when David is running from Saul. How many of us know that Saul was trying to kill David? Yeah, Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 through 6. Yolanda sounded a lot like me, huh? <laughs> and what happens here is David is running, him and his men, and they come down to the priest at Nob. Now these men were hungry. And he goes in and he says, We are hungry to please feed us. And the priests say, We cannot feed you. We don't have any food. The only food we have here is the showbread or the bread of the presence. Some translations will say the bread of the presence. And what that symbolized was, it was found in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5 through 9, is what they would do is they would bring on every Sabbath, they would bring 12 loaves of freshly baked bread, and they would put it in the presence of the Lord. And they would replace that bread every seven days, which was on the Sabbath. And the old bread, what they would do is the priests were allowed to eat that bread. So, and what that symbolized, it symbolized God's presence, but it also symbolized how God meets every physical need. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread, and bread is a symbolism of physical need. He multiplied how many loaves of what? Bread, yeah. It was bread and the fish. So this is representing the physical need. So in their terms, they can recognize that because they recognize God just supplied for 5,000 men and up to 20 to 25,000 people bread. This is representation also of that presence, how God... God will meet every physical, also meets your physical needs. And he talks about that. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. God already knows what you need before you ask him. We just read that word a little while ago about need. Right? So look at Sister Desiree just got provided bread right there. Amen? So praise the Lord. Amen? Now if she wants to pass it around, we can have some communion in here. Praise the Lord. 
<laughs> Sorry, Sister Desert, you went for it? And I was like, that's an example right there. Amen. And that's a good physical, that's a good physical provision right there. Amen. So this is what it's representing. So here, but see, the thing is, is that when they gave to David and his men, they were not looking to take the bread and to sell it. They, they needed the bread because they had a physical need. They were hungry. They were hungry. Because God did not punish David for this. And God did not take his life for that because he was hungry and the priest honored that. And they gave him the showbread which the priests were only to eat. But because there was a physical need in this. Pastor? Yes. What about the fact that he says uh, what you can have if your men have not slept with women putting that condition on it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that was also part of it as well. Yeah, because the, the bread was still sacred and holy. Oh, okay. The okay. bread was still sacred and holy. So it is referring to sleeping with women. And because many times when they would go out to war, they refrained from women for that reason. Because they were going out as holy vessels unto God in that. So, yeah. And that's why he does tell them, we, they have, none of us have because we're out here at war right now. So, good question. Amen. That was clear? Amen. So, they were, they were hungry. And the Bible says in this one, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So imagine this. The priest could have been like, nah, man. <laughs> Sorry, David, I know you're hungry, man, but can't do it. God says no. But these priests didn't do that. They exercised mercy because they recognize these men are hungry and they're in need. And they used discernment in that. And they had compassion. <clears throat> and this is what God means in the laws. That we are, yes, to keep the law. But it's emphasizing discernment and compassion in enforcing those laws. You don't just enforce them because this is what God says. No, you enforce them with the mercy and the compassion of God. Because God wants to be merciful to people. Now keep in mind... The priests were allowed to work on the Sabbath, but this is the only way they were able to work. This is very key right here. The priests were allowed to work on the Sabbath, performing the sacrifices and conducting the worship services. What are they doing? Who are they serving there? They're serving God. On the Sabbath, this is all that was allowed. They were worshiping God and conducting the sacrifices, everything that was required by God. Can I encourage you today? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's why the Bible says, and we're encouraged as Christians, to worship God, to serve Him in all that we do. Because then in that, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that is why we can do all that we do in every day of the week. Because we're doing it unto the Lord. See, do you really see going to work as a service and worship unto the Lord? Do you see being a wife, a husband, a daughter, a friend, a brother, a sister as worship unto the Lord? It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Do you see yourself being a citizen of someone who lives in this country as worship unto the Lord? So when we do everything unto the Lord, that is our form of worship. That is our sacrifice. Because we're doing it unto God. So it's not just on the Sabbath. It is every moment and day of our lives. 
this is what's starting to change. This is what God is starting to teach them. We are to serve the Lord with everything. I wrote here the temple's purpose, and we talked about this a little while ago, was to bring people to God. What was Jesus' purpose? To bring people to God. To reconcile man unto God the Father. What did he say? Something greater than the temple is here. The Messiah. Jesus. Jesus. And I got this footnote and I found it really good. It says, if we become more concerned with the means of worship, listen to this part, if we become more concerned with the means of worship than with the one we worship, we will miss God even as we think we are worshiping Him. So we become so consumed and so, well, I have to do this, I have to get to church, I have to do this, and I have to do this for God, but yet... We're not doing it with a heart because we want to do it unto the Lord, but because I have to, then who are we really doing it unto? As Sister Alma said earlier, who was that man really praying to? How many of us know we can all get there and we've probably been there? We get loose focus real easy. We could be singing a song and praising God, but really we're not praising Him, we're just singing it because it makes me feel better. Instead of singing it because God is God and He's holy. It could happen to any one of us because the times can get hard and it can be overwhelming. And we as people can be very needy. So I'm going to ask if um, somebody can pull up 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23. And then I'm going to ask if somebody can pull up, who would like to read 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23, if you could raise your hand so I can call on you. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. One at hand at a time, please. Yeah. Okay, so you'll read, you'll read that one? 22-23, okay. okay. I got Yolanda reading that one. Uh, who could read Psalm 46-8? through 8? Vanessa will read that one. Who can read Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11-20? through 20? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11-20. Okay, Sister Karen. And who could read Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21 to 23? Sister Cynthia. And who could read Hosea chapter 6, verse 6? Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. And then the last one, I just need somebody to read Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. If somebody could read that one. Can you pull up Psalm 46? 40, chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. Anybody could read Hosea chapter 6? Okay. Brother David will read Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. So, we're going to start here. So, if Sister Yolanda, if you could read 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23, please. Okay. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice, or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of ram. Rebellion is, a, is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you 
I'm sorry, I moved this. Okay, so we're good right there. Amen. Amen. It's okay. Amen. Who had Psalm 46 3? Okay, Sister Vanessa. Psalm 46 3. Yes. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, Look, I have come as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Amen. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 through 20. Who had that one? Sister Karen. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting, they're sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They're a burden to me. I can't stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. Come, let's settle this. Oh, that's my favorite right there. Amen. Wow. Jeremiah chapters for second sister Karen. I thought that was just you speaking. I'm like, is she reading or is she just speaking here? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, amen, right on, amen. Jer Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, said. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices, and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your, your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them... I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them the command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. Amen. And Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, Brother David. Right desire of mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Amen. And that's where that scripture, that Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, is where they got this scripture here where he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In every single one of those scriptures you guys read, it all had to do with obedience. Not in what they did and what they offered, but it was obedience. But what it came down to was a heart and an attitude that started towards God. He said, it's not that I don't want you to do these things, but I want you to do it with such a way that your heart is unto me and you do it unto me. If not, then don't do it at all because as we heard in one of those, it's just sinful then because it's to please you. And it's when the people of God start to be so consumed with it's so important to do these things greater than to help people and to draw people to God 
then there's something wrong with our heart and what we're doing and where our focus is at. And I wrote this. It says, in order to obey and correctly and correctly obey, it starts with our attitude towards God. Then everything else is done with meaning. Everything that we start to do unto the Lord starts to have meaning. Coming to church is no longer a chore, but it starts to have meaning because we recognize, Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I'm coming today because, Father, I want to hear you speak. I want you to teach me, Lord God. I want to find out more about you, Lord God. But help me by your spirit, Lord God. I know I'm tired, but Lord, thank you, Lord God, that you can draw me by your spirit today. Because my desire is that others will be drawn to you, Lord. It starts with the heart. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through 2, Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. I'm sorry, not in that. I'm sorry, that's, that's John chapter 1, verse 13 to 22. He talks about destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through 2 talks about they're admiring all the beautiful the stuff on the temple of the Lord, you know, on the temple where they're going. And they're saying, oh, how beautiful, how marvelous. And they're telling Jesus, look at it, it's so nice. He says, not one of these stones will be left. Talking about the destruction of Jerusalem when they would be destroyed by Rome in AD 70, when it was utterly destroyed that was a temporary temple John and Peter were walking to a temporary temple that temple was not going to be standing in a couple of more years but Jesus tells them destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again referring to the eternal temple returning to him to Jesus his body because how many of us know today we don't go to a temple made by human hands we go to the temple of the living God in Christ Jesus and not only that who does the Bible say you are today he says that me and you are the temple of the living God 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 through 17 he says that me and you are the temple of the living God Let's go back to Acts chapter 3. We're going to... Take the last couple of minutes. Huh? That was verse 1, guys. (laughs) So a whole reason and a purpose, because think about it, they're walking to the temple. And think about it this way. Many times we go to church, we read the Bible, we pray, we do all these things for the Lord, but it's so mean you can get. Lord, fill me. Lord, provide for me. Lord, I need a change. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, this is going on. We're going and we're coming to the Lord to get. Okay? The disciples are going to the temple to pray to get. But now Jesus was teaching them it's going to be better to give. And this is why. 
What's more important, giving or receiving? Okay. Why is it more important? Amen. Amen. So this is what I wrote here. In Christ we have already received everything. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yes. We already received everything in Christ. Now it's a lifetime of walking out by faith as we already have it. How many of us know that's belief? Yeah. It's believing, Lord, I have everything that you've already given me because I have everything in you. But that will take a lifetime of learning and recognizing and growing and maturing to understand that I already have all that I need because I have all that I need in you, Jesus. But that's a lifetime of fully coming to understand. And even then, we won't fully ever understand it until we go home to be with the Lord. But this is what it does for me and you. Then we walk less concerned about what I need and realizing that my needs are already met. Imagine me and you could get to a place that we can walk, we can live, and we can recognize, Lord, I already have all that I need in you, Lord God. Amen. And I can walk with boldness and confidence today, Lord God. Not because of how I feel, not because of what I see, not because of what's going on, but because I believe in you, Lord Jesus, I am made whole. And I can walk with boldness and confidence, though I may have some lack, though I may have some hurt, though I may have some pain, though I may be going through this, but when I can walk believing, Lord, I know that you are my provision. Yes. I know that you are my comforter. I know that you're my healer, my provider, my strength, my everything. And we start to walk and believe and know I have everything that I need. Because what happens is, when we're not walking and we can get to a place by the help of the Holy Spirit, through His Word, and as we grow and learn, we can get to a place where we're not walking around, I need this, I need that, I need to take care of this, what am I going to do here? But we start to walk, thank you Lord for what I have today, Lord God. Thank you that this is the day that the Lord has made. Thank you that you have met every need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you that I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. Thank you that by your wounds I am healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've given your angels charge over me. Thank you, Lord. And we start to walk in faith and believing and declaring and speaking the word of God in life, not just to say, oh, I'm going to speak it and declare it. No, but because we're believing it and though it may take a lifetime and though we may not see it, but we will be able to go home believing it, whether we receive it here or whether we receive it when we get home. But whenever we know, we know God is faithful. God is faithful and that's where the life starts to generate that's where the Holy Spirit starts to just bring that life to me and you and to the situation till we start to see things differently but what that does for me and you it starts to give us eyes now to see a need of someone else where it's not just so much about me but it's so much about someone else now because I've already received all that I need. Because how many of us know it's a lot easier to give to somebody if you got money when you have money in your pocket? That's true. 
Oh, you got money in the bank. You got a check. You got the tax refund. You're like, oh, I could give now. But it's a lot harder when it's a little negative. And it's going to hurt you. Or you got plans for that. It's a little bit harder because now you're holding on to that. And I'm only using money as an example. But we can do that with everything in our lives. And I put here, therefore, being aware of that person who is in need and being ready to give them who we have. Who we have. Who I like. Not what we have, but who we have. Yes. Because it has nothing to do with what we have. It has to do with who we have. And who is that? Jesus. But this is, the, this is where it really comes into play. It's not necessarily always what they want. But it's what they need. That's the word. Hold on to that word. It's what they need. This is where wisdom, discernment, and the Holy Spirit come together. And, they, and the Holy Spirit helps me and you to be wise. It's like that person asking you for money. But you know that they're going to use it for something else. Yeah. And you might want to buy them food and they say, no, I don't want no food. Just give me money. Well, I'm sorry, brother, but I don't have, I'm not going to give you no money. And I offered to buy you food. You rejected it. But I can tell you that Jesus loves you. Yeah. And you can call on him and walk away. But he's poor and in need. Yeah. And I gave him what he needed because he didn't want anything else. I can give him the money, but all that's going to do is give him a temporary fix. And many times we want to please people. But it's not about pleasing people. How many of us know you don't always give your kids what they want, but you give them what they need, even though they don't think they need it. But what they need is greater because what they need will take them longer down in life. We'll teach them things they don't realize they're learning. We'll teach them discipline. We'll teach them whatever needs to be done. And you do it for the sake because you love them. But if you give them everything they want, that's only temporary love. That's only a temporary fix. Because then they turn out to be like the leech. That's always saying, give, give, give. Verse 2, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. That word alms is just charity, some kind of handout, a donation. And it says, And Peter directed his gaze at him and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now think about it this way. This man was a wise man. He had been like this since he was a, he was a child. He was since he was born. And what they would do is it was seen as um, it was giving money to beggars was considered praiseworthy in the Jewish religion. Okay. So what better place to set me in front but to the temple? Okay. So they knew that. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was a smart man here. Just put me in front of the temple because they're going to get blessed, but I'm going to get some. What I need. This was his life. He was lame. He couldn't walk. So this is how he made his living. It's not a bad thing. This is just what he did. So as he's there, 
He's there for a reason. He's there for money or goods or something that he can use. This was just a way of his life. So when they said to him, look at us. These men are walking to the temple to pray. They never made it to the temple to pray. Because there was someone greater than the temple that was now living in them. They could have been more concerned. I got to get to the temple to pray. But instead of being so concerned about going to that temple to pray, they were more concerned with the compassion and the mercy for this man. But how many of us know that was the leading of the Holy Spirit here? And it says that he looked at them expecting to receive something from them. That word expecting is in a thought, in hope, in fear, to look for, to wait for, to anticipate. This man was anticipating, what are they going to give me? Especially when he says, look at us. This man looks at them, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Oh, but come on. What did we talk about a couple of weeks ago? What was another word that came in when the disciples were waiting and they were expecting from the Lord? Suddenly. Suddenly. And that suddenly moment, this was about to be this man's suddenly moment. Even though he was expecting, but something unexpected was about to take place in his life. Something unexpected was about to take place in this man's life. He's about to have a suddenly moment as we get into this next week. But someone greater than the temple is here, and that is Jesus. Because how many of us know it's more than just about coming to church? It's also about recognizing we are the church in this world. These apostles would now learn, because that temple would be gone in a couple years. It was no longer about that temple. It was recognizing and coming to realize they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we come to realize that and pray accordingly, Lord, if we have come to be a church like this many times, even in my own life, Lord, that I've become more concerned about what I do for you than recognizing, thank you, Lord, that I'm allowed to even do it. That I can recognize, Lord God, all that I do is unto you, Lord God. And everything that I do. That's where we start to learn the mercy of God. So when we come across somebody that is in need, we won't be so concerned about more or less of what I need to do will start to learn how to be more sensitive and attentive to what that person and who that person needs. Can I have a question? Yes, Sister Alma. When this man, um, I was just thinking about this man. Like, 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 he was expecting something. He received something. And he actually got even something even greater. Yes. Because of, it didn't happen because of his faith. It happens because of 
No, it, it, it does. It does happen because of his faith, you, and we're going to see that next week. Because I was thinking, he was expecting to be healed. He was expecting money. Okay. Right. But they killed him in the name of Jesus. No. Oh wow! Next because week, because they told him to get up, and he was. That's the key. Get up. Yeah. They said, and he did. Yeah. we're jumping a little ahead, but this is it's a, it's a question, and this will prepare us for next week, and I encourage you to go and read and study it. But they say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. It took his obedience to get up and to trust that he could walk. That was the healing. That was the healing. Because it takes that person's part as well to believe God, but it was also the Holy Spirit drawing him. Yes. Because the Holy Spirit was at work in him, drawing him to him. And it's just like somebody says, so we'll get more into that next week, but I pray that That's answer that question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the obedience. And that's exactly what we learned tonight through all those scriptures. What did it have to be? Obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. Than sacrifice. Because it also has to come with obedience through it all as well. Yeah. And, and this man, we're going to see, he didn't get what he wanted, but he definitely got what he needed and even greater than that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Any other questions or comments before we, we close up tonight? I think the Word of God says that He's given us everything for this life that we need to live out this life of Godliness. Amen. 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 Well, I wanted to close up with this little thing here, just a kind of an example. I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it. Why not? We got a couple minutes, right? Let me see here. You guys like the Twilight Zone? I love it. You're going to do it again? Yeah, we're going to watch like 10 episodes right now. Amen? What was that last one called? That weird one about the reporters? They're all weird. <laughs> but I'm weird. Yeah, it was the one where the guy sold his soul. The printer's the printer's devil. Printer's devil. That was the one wherever Mike showed. Yeah, I, just, I watch them all the time. But let's watch this real quick here. I'm just going to show a small portion of it, like five minutes. You guys give me five minutes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always refer to anything before I was born as a black and white times. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Just what Mr. Bernard is waiting for. Clean fluid. Oh, very good clean fluid. 
question and it's there for you, you just take it. Thank you for this wonderful, beautiful day and night, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for you are so good and so wonderful, my God. And Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for reminding us that we have all that we need in you, Lord Jesus. And that, Lord, you, Father, are greater than that temple, Lord, as great as that temple was, my God. But, Lord, thank you, Father, that someone greater than the temple came, and that is you, Jesus. And you are the temple of the living God. And now today we are the temple of the living God because of your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside of us, my God. And Father, just as the disciples were learning, my God, and this was now going to be a place where they would learn that, Father, it wasn't just so much about the temple, Lord, it was about being that temple in this world, my God, and being that light in this world, Father God, and being that example, Lord God, in growing and learning in relationship with you, Lord, as we recognize and acknowledge that we have all that we need in you, Lord Jesus, and in that, Father God, being able, Lord, to be those ones, Father, that are ready to give, Lord, not what we have, but who we have. And that name, Lord Jesus, your name, the name above all names, Lord. Father, we thank you for teaching us this night, Father God. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that though, Father God, we had our wants and our needs that we thought, Father God, would make us happy, Lord. And Lord, we still have desires and wants, yes, and that's that's okay, Lord. But Lord, thank you, Father God, that Lord, you showed us, my God, that Lord, what we really needed was who we needed, and that was you, Jesus. And Lord, today we will always need you, Lord. And there is a world today that needs you, Father God. So Father, this night we come before your throne thanking you for this time. Father, Lord, we know that there's many prayer requests and situations and circumstances that are going on tonight. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are all that they need, my God. So every need in this house this night, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we lift up those prayer petitions to you tonight for comfort, Lord, for healing, for provision, my God. Lord Jesus, my God, that, Father, there would be deliverance and salvation in the home, my God. Father, you know every need, my God, and we thank you, Lord, that you know it even before we even ask it, Lord. But, Lord, thank you, Father, that you teach us, Lord, that, Father, we have those needs met in you, Lord. And, Father, help us, Lord, to be that example in this world, my God. So, Father, we just thank you for this night. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.